reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 32 to 40. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, others refusing to accept these so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, mocking and flocking, flogging, even, and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect." Would you um, remain standing as we just come in this time to the Lord? Father, we um, would ask by your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts, uh, make our stony hearts soft, that it would be fertile to receive your word and to be changed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please take your seats? Well, good morning. If uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm Ronnie, one of the pastors here at DPC. It's really good to be with you. If you're new, we've, um, for several months now, we have been going through the book of Hebrews. And for the last five weeks specifically, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11, just kind of slow dancing with it. Chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Because this particular chapter catalogs the lives of several people in the Old Testament who were under a lot of pressure to opt out of their faith, right? To, to walk away from God. They could have chosen an easy life, uh, but they would have had to walk away from God. And instead, they chose to follow the Lord, and they gave up their fortunes. They gave up their, their, their comforts. They, they uh, jeopardized their reputation and... Uh, some even gave up their lives. So for several weeks, we have uh, been taking a few verses at a time in chapter 11 to examine the life of each of these characters. Because we're asking the question, like, what was their faith made of? What did they believe? And what, what motivated them to choose the Lord over the comforts of this world? We want what those guys had, don't we? We want that kind of faith. But y'all, life is hard. And so these sort of Twitter biographies, right? They're like these little mini biographies are meant to provoke our faith, encourage us to choose Jesus over anything that this life offers, even if it costs us everything, you see. So listen, this morning, as you just heard, uh, it's a little bit graphic, and this sermon is going to represent that. The sermon's going to be a little bit graphic. I mean, like 30, verse 37, which we just heard, people are being stoned, sawn in two. And so our text talks a lot about death. 
And it does so with gruesome details, honestly. So I, heads up, I'm going to speak candidly about the terrible deaths that people uh, suffered in order to follow Jesus. Now, I don't want to trigger you, right, but trigger warning. Uh, I do, um, I am going to speak candidly. I, I don't really apologize for the traumatic language because I actually think that this is what we need, y'all. Like, I actually hope that these stories connect us with reality because you and I were living in insul- from like, we're insulated lives. We're, we're insulated from real pain. In some ways, we're living a fake world with our chacos. You know what I mean? We need the brutality of these stories to kind of wake us up, take us out of our designer lives. We need the brutality of these stories to ask, uh, help us to ask the question, what do I love the most in this world? I mean, do I really believe that Jesus is supreme over all things? Is there anything that could seduce me away from my Savior? We need to ask those questions. And so the aim of this passage is to invigorate your passion, your loyalty to Jesus through real stories of bravery. Uh, That's how these stories worked and motivated the original audience when they were under immense pressure to opt out of Christianity. And that's how it continues to work for us today. And don't we need it living here in Denver? Don't we need it? So before I... um, just jump into working through the text. Let me just tell you, let me give you a kind of a, a meta, a way of thinking about what we just heard. Um, verses 32 to 40 of Hebrews 11 is basically two different lists. Uh, these are names that are presented very quickly without very much explanation. And the idea is that the original audience who was, who was first receiving the book of Hebrews, they were totally familiar with all the background information, so they didn't need all the explanation. Uh, we do, so I'm going to help us with a little bit of that background information. Uh, but one of the features is that this, this text has these two lists. And so all the commentaries will tell you from like verses 32 to the middle of verse 35 is list one. And from the middle of 35 to 38 is list two. And so uh, that's going to be my outline, list one and list two. And we're going to try to understand the unique features of these two lists and try to apply it to our life. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, Let's go ahead and jump into um, list one. So two lists, two class of people whose faith had different results. Now, List one, it is a curious list. Uh, So the author just begins by rattling off some names. Look there, verse 32, you have Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and other prophets. Now, if you have a little bit of background information with the Old Testament, then that list should be a little bit odd to you. How so? Presumably, the people in chapter 11 who made the cut, Hebrews 11, they're Israel's greatest men of faith. But then when you do like the fact-checking here, right, and you look at the Old Testament, you realize these guys totally do not have a clean record. I mean, of course they did some valiant things, but they also did some really awful things. Gideon led Israel into worshiping idols Samson broke his Nazarite vow, had an unlawful relationship with a pagan whose name was Delilah. Jephthah is known for making this ridiculous vow, ends up having his daughter killed. David is an adulterer, a liar, a mass murderer. The list goes on and on. Yeah, these guys did some courageous things, but they made some really major mistakes. 
So why in the world does the author carefully include them in this esteemed list in chapter 11? Here's why. Because the author wants you to know that they are profoundly ordinary people. They're just like you and me. They're not special. And this is so important to understand for you and I, if we're going to understand how, God, how we can actually exercise our faith and live valiant lives. I remember when I was younger, I went to a Houston Rockets game, you know, right? Grew up in Houston. Um, so I went to a Rockets game, and at the arena was George Foreman. Now, uh, most of us remember like the great heavyweight boxer. Uh, if you're like a millennial Gen-, Gen Z, you probably are like, is that like the Foreman grill? Yeah, that's him, same dude. Uh, but he was actually the first celebrity I'd ever seen live. Gigantic man. This is the guy who took out Joe Fraser and Ken Norton. So I could be, I remember like excited seeing a celebrity at this game. He was sitting close by the court. Me, not so much. Um, so sometime in the third quarter, you know, maybe too much Coke. Uh, I, you know, had to go to the bathroom or whatever. So I went there. One of the stalls was occupied and all kinds of funny noises are kind of coming out of it or whatever. And while I was there washing my hands, it, the stall opens. Sure enough, the great George Foreman <laughs> comes out. And I remember thinking, George Foreman goes to the bathroom? I mean, it's funny, right? I mean, I had this idea that, like, celebrities are superhuman or something. And, uh, you know, I could remember my dad saying, yeah, you know, celebrities are just normal people. And he said something cliche, right? Like, they just put their pants on one, one leg at a time, right? I learned a lot that day. And that is, don't try to do too... No, I'm kidding. Like, I, here's what I learned. Important lesson. Um, there's no such thing as, like, superhumans. Everyone's normal. This is profoundly important if you're going to understand how to live out your faith when reading Hebrews 11. See, when we read chapter 11, we see, right, we've been seeing the courageous lives of, of Abraham and of Moses and Gideon and Daniel. But we look at these people and we tend to think that they're different than us. I mean, we read about their lives and say, man, they're special. We could never do anything like that. And so the author of Hebrews, he totally recognizes this temptation. And so that's how come he actually gives us this first list. Because these guys were a hot mess. These guys were ordinary people with a lot of faults. But by faith, God accomplished really extraordinary things through them. Now, why is this so important? God's calling you and I to organize our lives around Jesus Christ. Sometimes that means we're going to have to give up our dreams and our longings. Sometimes it means that we're going to have to give up our comforts to ensure that Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. And here's the thing. If you think that you have to be a superhero or a person without faults in order for God to use you, then you don't actually understand the God that we're talking about here. The entire Bible is filled with stories of God doing incredible things through ordinary and sinful people. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions. First, what what is it that the Lord is calling me to do? I mean, how is God asking me to offer my ordinary life to bring him glory? 
And, and how have you erroneously, falsely believed the lie that you're disqualified for living courageously for the Lord because of your sins? You know, I want you to ask yourself these questions because here's my experience. Most of us are going to leave here today and um, not one single thing in our life is going to change. Statistically speaking, this, that was cute service. We'll just leave. Look, you have to live an intentional life. What's one thing? Now, if you have problems finding out what that one thing is, just ask a, a friend, ask a spouse, they'll tell you. Hey, here's one thing, Garcia, you know what I mean? Like, ask a friend. Sometimes we need help to make our lives more Christ-centered. But just like the original audience, there is this immense amount of pressure for our lives to conform to our culture, just maintain the status quo. Come in, come out, same thing. There is this immense amount of pressure for our lives to look exactly like our non-believing neighbors. Listen, I know we can't fix all of our problems. Just what's one thing? What's one thing? Following Jesus is for ordinary people with real sins who are trying to offer Jesus everything, even their very lives. What's the one thing the Lord's asking you to surrender? Because Jesus looks at you and says, hey, follow me. Will you? Will you follow him? Let's do this thing together. Let's do this together. That's list one. Let's look at list, list two. It's in, and so it's really important for us to understand list one, because if you don't understand that first list, you'll never understand the kind of faith that these people had and and, and some of the results. Now, in the second list, we have a group of people who had faith. They had real faith, but they suffered and died. So the first list describes people who had faith. The Lord acted in powerful ways. They conquered armies. They were thrown in fires. They were not burned. They were even brought back to life. Incredible. In fact, look, verse 35. This is from the first list. It's a story about two different women in the Old Testament. The first one is Elijah takes the son of a, de uh, uh, the son, a, the dead son of a widow, prays to God. This is 1 Kings 17. He says, uh, he says, oh Lord, my God, let, the, let this child's life come into him again. And it says that the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And this child came back to life. Incredible, incredible. And the second woman, it comes from the story of the prophet Elisha, dead child of this Shumamite woman. Again, Elisha healed. I mean, we're seeing people come back to life. That's what it's citing there. The people in the first list had faith. God healed. God triumphed over evil. And we should celebrate. This is great, right? We should celebrate. All, in fact, most of the time when you're at church, what you hear is the story of the guy who's like, man, he, a bill comes in, $300 out, doesn't know how he's going to make ends meet, prays to God. Sure enough, like $300 check comes in the mail. We like that story. Uh, we like the story of the person who was told that they have um, a really aggressive form of cancer. They have five months to live. The doctor says, hey, that's it. And the patient says, hey, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep having faith. After five months, goes back. The cancer is gone. The doctor says, it's a miracle. We love these stories. These are the stories we like to tell. And listen, we should, we should tell these stories. But what about the others? 
Like verse 36 just talks about the others. Who are these others? It didn't work out so much. They prayed. Who are the others? If your faith is only composed of those kinds of stories, like list one stories, then you're actually missing the point. If those stories are why you have faith, then your faith is in big trouble. You're not going to go and make it. You're not going to make it to the end. You know why? Because there's a second list. Dare I say it, a more common list. There's this really dangerous and unbiblical strand of Christian religion just tells people to like name it and claim the promise of God. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They say, hey, if you just pray hard enough, you just pray with your whole heart, God's going to bring healing, right? God's going to bring you the money that you need. It's a lie. Listen up. Look at me. It's a lie. There's no promises. I mean, I hope he pulls through for you. Don't count on it. See, here's the thing is people in the second list had as much faith or more than the people in the first list. And what happens to them? Like, what happens to them? They prayed. Look, start middle of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Now it's important to understand the results of list one. It's important. And although they were really confident, even the people in list one, they were confident in the Lord's care, and the Lord did pull through for them, they actually never actually believed that they were promised a result. Like, for instance, in verse 34, look there, verse 34, it talks, it mentions those who quenched the power of fire. What's that? Who's that talking about? That's citing Daniel chapter 3. Y'all remember that faithful story of that these young boys are in captivity? The pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, made an idol, demanded everyone worship this idol. And these three guys, man, they didn't. They didn't. And so they were threatened and then ultimately they were thrown into a fiery furnace. So as Nebuchadnezzar is like threatening these, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is what they say to the king. Listen to these words. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But then he goes on, listen, but if not, like maybe he won't pull through. Maybe we burn up. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've made. Y'all see that? Whether God saved them or not is not the point. Their faith actually did not demand triumph. Rather, their faith is what led them to be faithful regardless of the outcome. That is a real faith. And here's the thing, y'all. Because for every victorious thing that I hear, I hear 20 stories of sadness and tragedy. And those 20 stories are of people of real faith. Real faith. 
And if your faith demands positive results, then you don't have faith in God. You have faith in your plan for God. You see it? Y'all, if we don't get this right, we're doing everyone a disservice. This is why a lot of people walk away from the faith. This is why they opt out. They say, hey, listen, my, um, I had faith. I prayed and prayed, and my mom still died, so I'm giving up on God. I get it. Like, I'm sad. I get it. But they didn't have faith in God. They had faith in their plan for God, you see. Because suffering and tragedy was not an option for them. But listen, that's not faith. That's not faith. That's not Hebrews, love, and faith. But listen, suffering for the Lord definitely was an option for these Hebrews 11 folks, right? Wasn't it? The people in list two actually died terrible deaths in the name of the Lord. In our passage, there's a whole list of people. Everyone knew the background. I've tried to already give a, a little bit of background on a few of them. Can I just do one more? Here's one more. In verse 35, the passage says, you can look there in your text, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You see that? So that's actually talking to a very famous, uh, talking about a very famous event that happened in the intertestamental period. So it's basically that period after the, or between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's about 400 years. So God's people kept going. There's no scripture from that time. And so um, a lot of ecclesiastical texts kind of come out of there. Sometimes you hear, if you come from a Catholic tradition, the Apocrypha. So the Bible, uh, the Catholic Bible actually includes it. They started doing that around the 5th or 6th century, something like that. We don't. It's not part of the Bible, all right, everyone? But it's just this text that tells us what life was like for believers uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that is citing a story that all the believers knew about, and it comes from 2 Maccabees chapter 7. Can I tell you about what it says? So at that time, between right, the intertestamental period, there's a, a king in Palestine. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, all right? So this guy was known as a really cruel tyrant. And so what he would do is he would take very prominent Jewish families and force them to disobey God by breaking ceremonial codes, making them eat pork in the temple, and worshiping idols. It was awful. And if they did not do it, he would torture them publicly. So one day, famous story, he takes a widow and her seven sons, and they refuse to do what the king demands. And so the king's guards takes one son at a time. He lines them up, takes the first son, and this is what they do. First, they cut out the tongue, and they scalp the hair. And then they cut off the hands, and then they cut off the feet, and they do it to keep the person alive. And then they take the body, and they burn him alive. Antiochus Epiphanes. And they did this one son at the time. And each time, they would do one, and, they, and, and the guards would ask, the king would ask the second son, the next one in line, to change his mind. And each time, the son, each of these sons acted incredibly brave. 
before their death. The second son looked at the king in the eyes and said, You accursed wretch! You might dismiss us from this present life, but the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life. That's what they said. And then the third son, when demanded to, to recant, to, to eat, eat pork right there in the temple, like he literally sticks out his tongue. Like, cut it out, man. Sticks out his tongue, re- stretches out his hands and screams out. And he says, I got these hands from him. And from him, I hope to get them back again. Wow. And each son, one at a time, was equally courageous. Man, and the mother there, front row seats, terrible honor of watching her sons brutally tortured and killed right before their eyes. And the text, this is actually in the text, tells us that the smoke from the burning bodies came to them, but that she, the mother, encouraged her sons to die with courage. And this is what she says, the Lord God is watching over us, boys, and he will have compassion on his servants. This mother is incredible. She's forced to do the worst possible thing to see her children die. The children she loves, and she loves them more than they love her. She loves her own life. I mean, she would take their spot in a second. And every time this wicked king would say to one of the sons, What about you? You saw what just happened. What about you? The mother would stand there and encourage her sons to die courageously, saying, And this is what she says It is not I who gave you life and breath, it was the creator of the universe who will now. Give it back to you. Here's why I tell you this story with all of these details. In Hebrews, it says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept relief so that they might rise again to a better life. Y'all see that? That's the clue. Because when we ask, how did these ordinary, sinful people have the courage to follow the Lord, even when it cost them everything? The answer is they had this resolute, unbreakable hope in the resurrection to rise again to a better life. Can I share a personal story with you? Because this is not like theoretical for me. I'm not up here just pulling on heartstrings. Some of our very best friends Trey and Alicia, they live in Atlanta. Um, they, have a, they have a little girl named Mary. And uh, like I have known, I mean, I've known Mary since she's a little baby, little itty bitty baby. I've watched her grown up, grow up. When she was 11 years old, she was diagnosed with sarcoma, cancer in the knee. And uh, we prayed and prayed that chemotherapy, uh, Mary lost her hair, the cancer remained. And uh, Trey and Alicia had to make the hard decision, and they talked about it with Mary, and Mary's like, this is what I need to do, and they took the surgeon's uh, recommendation to amputate her leg. Mary's like, let's do this. And she's 11 years old. You know, I was talking to Sean Janelle just yesterday, and he was just telling me about the buoyancy and the faith of his little boy Fitz. Like, man, we learned so much from these kids about real courage, don't we? So how were they surviving? How did, they, how did Tinker's Lee, Trey and Alicia survive this tra- tragedy? Here's how. Mary, their daughter, who loves Jesus, whispered these words to her daddy. 
I got these legs from heaven, and from him, I hope to get them back again one day. Her hope is certain. Listen, neither you or I will live courageously, give up our lives, follow Jesus, if we're uncertain about death. If you fear death more than you fear the Lord, then you will never fully surrender to the Lord. But God wants us to have faith in the resurrection so that we can be courageous on this side of heaven. That's why this section in Hebrews 11 is included. That's why this text is given to you and I. This is why, guys, y'all, you and I need to be furious about people who, who preach this health and wealth gospel. It's ridiculous. Our faith is not some misguided promise that God is going to heal us. Our faith is God himself, not our plan for God, you see. And our faith is what gives us courage to die, not to be healed. Y'all see? Sometimes God gives us victories, and we pray for them, of course. And sometimes he gives us death. But in both cases, he gives us faith. Faith for ordinary and sinful people to live courageously, no matter the cost. All right, let me lay on this plane. Here's my conclusion. Look at uh, verses 39 and 40. It says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. What's that mean? Here's what I want you to know. Is even in the Old Testament, when someone was resurrected, they weren't actually resurrected. They were like revivified. Like in other words, the people in the stories that came back to life, they still end up dying. Y'all see that? Like they die. Still. I mean, they're brought back to life, but then they die. They're just delaying death. They would still have to die once. So each one of them ultimately died again. Their ashes went to the ground. And that's what it's important to understand is that sometimes God delays our death. We're all going to die once. But what this verse is saying is that there will be a day of resurrection for everyone who dies in Christ. Y'all, that, did y'all know that's what Christians teach? That's what we teach. Is what we believe. If you're new here, I just want you to know that's what we believe. That's why sometimes we're courageous, because we just, we believe that this isn't the final chapter of existence. Now, here's why I'm mentioning this, mentioning this, is the people in the Old Testament, they didn't have something that we have. And it's this. We actually have a guarantee of that through the resurrection of Jesus And y'all, this is what makes Christianity so different. This is why we're not universalists. Listen, every religion, every religion has stories about what happens to you when you die. Christians have something different. We actually have a resurrected Savior. We have testimonies of a Savior who appeared to like hundreds of people. We have a Savior who allowed people to come to like touch his wounds. He's like, hey, go ahead, stick your finger there. Like, what? We have a Savior who, who was not in the grave because if he was, Rome would have found him, right? Like Rome knew where Jesus was buried, but they went there 
He wasn't there anymore. And we know he wasn't there because they easily would have cut off his head, mounted it on a stick, and marched it around town to say, hey, dumb Christians. Right? But they didn't do that. Why? Because the grave was empty. If you don't believe in the resurrection, the burden actually is on you to explain how Christianity began. I mean, maybe this is a sermon for another day of maybe an Easter sermon, but all the evidence points to a real resurrection. From a few uneducated, cowardly, smelly fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes came. The greatest movement the world has ever known. And listen, in the first century, the resurrection of Jesus demanded a way of thinking about God and a way of thinking about the human race that was completely contrary to both Jewish and Roman worldviews. For them to accept Jesus required a complete reversal of beliefs. Like, and none of it was intuitive for them. It was not like easy for them to accept a resurrection of Jesus. So why did they change? I'll tell you why they changed. Because they saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. Hundreds of people did, and they wrote copious amounts about it. Here's the deal, guys. People will die for what they believe. Sure, people die for what they believe all the time. No one's going to die for what they know to be false. For they know they're con artists. And all the cowards, all of them, Peter, Thomas, turned into men who courageously died for their faith. Bad. And I mean they died bad. And how could these cowards who deserted Jesus when he's hanging on the cross, I mean, how could they become so brave? It's because they saw the resurrection for themselves and they knew. They knew they were promised the same thing. That's why they were willing to die for their faith. And they did, all of them. As these men were on the brink of death, Peter being resurrected or crucified upside down, all many of them burned at the stake. It was as if they could hear the mother of the seven sons whispering to them, Hey, it's not I who gave you life. It was the creator of the universe, and now he will give it back to you. And they died with joy smiling, singing hymns, eagerly awaiting to be with Jesus. They were ordinary, sinful people who hoped in the resurrection. Hey, Denver, we can be that too. Like, we can be that too. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't grow tired of following Jesus. Today, today's not for dying for Jesus, but today is for living for him. Will you? Will you? Let's do this thing together. Even 